1: A warm welcome to First Move. I'm Rahel Solomon in today for Julia Chatterley. And just ahead on today's show, rescuers hear banging sounds that may be coming from the missing Titan submersible, raising hope now that the five people on board could still be found alive and they may have just one day's worth of oxygen left. The very latest on the desperate search in the Atlantic coming up. Plus, rebuilding Ukraine, a summit underway in London, plotting post-war reconstruction U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announcing more than a billion dollars of additional U.S. assistance. We'll take you there. And Powell pronouncements. The U.S. Fed chair set to brief Congress on the state of the American economy next hour. Powell saying in his prepared statement that getting inflation down to the 2 percent target still has a long way to go. And as traders await Powell's testimony, U.S. futures are lower. Across the board, red arrows across the board there. U.S. stocks lost ground Tuesday as well, with the S&P down half a percent. And as we can see, Europe is also softer. New numbers show U.K. prices rising 8.7 percent year over year in May. That's unchanged from April, but firmly above expectations. The numbers now giving the Bank of England new ammunition to raise rates again at its policy meeting tomorrow. And a rough session for Chinese stocks, the Shanghai Composite and the Hang Seng down, both more than one and a half percent, around one and a half percent. A lot of news to get to today. But let's begin with the life or death rescue mission in the Atlantic. The search really ramping up this hour with more vessels headed to the area. After those banging sounds were heard, that's according to a U.S. government memo. And the U.S. Coast Guard says that a Canadian military plane also picked up underwater noises in the search area. The submersible with five people on board went missing on Sunday while exploring the wreck of the Titanic. CNN's Paula Newton has the latest.
2: A sound of hope in the search and rescue of the missing submersible with five people on board. According to an internal U.S. government memo, sonar picked up banging sounds underneath the water Tuesday at 30-minute intervals.
3: Regular thirty-minute intervals is is a is a man-made thing. It's not a natural occurrence. It doesn't happen like that in nature. If it, it is a good sign of hope,
2: the memo was not clear as to when the banging was heard on Tuesday, or how long it lasted.
3: They can triangulate on noise. Again, it's only happening every thirty minutes. They they only have a a, a data update every thirty minutes. So if it was happening every minute, it'd be a lot easier and a lot faster.
2: However, time continues to be a critical factor as the vessel's oxygen supply dwindles.
4: We will do everything in our power to uh, to effect a rescue.
2: So far, the U.S. Coast Guard says it has searched an area about the size of Connecticut.
4: Getting salvage equipment on scene is a top priority.
2: The U.S. Navy is sending a flyaway deep ocean salvage system, similar to the one pictured here, for retrieving heavy underwater items like the small submersible. On board, OceanGate CEO and founder Stockton Rush, British adventurer and businessman Hamish Harding, one of Pakistan's richest men, British businessman Shazada Dawood, and his 19-year-old son, Suleiman Dawood. And the vessel's pilot, French submariner and ex-Navy officer, Paul-Henri if I was
4: in a bind with anybody, it would be Paul Henri Nargillet. He would do everything he can, and uh, without panic, uh, to work his way out of that situation.
2: As the ongoing search and rescue continues, we're learning of concerns in 2018 regarding the planned expedition of the submersible to that Titanic wreckage site. In a letter obtained by the New York Times and addressed to the Ocean Gate CEO, Stockton Rush, the Manned Underwater Vehicles Committee of the Marine Technology Society raised these concerns. Our apprehension is that the current experimental approach adopted by OceanGate could result in the negative outcomes from minor to catastrophic that would have serious consequences for everyone in the industry.
1: And Paula joins us now with more. Paula, as we said, more vessels heading to the area. So where do things stand now? What's the latest with the search?
2: What's so interesting here is that in pre-positioning so many of these assets now headed again to the scene. Now that we have confirmation that those banging noises were heard, they are given some very good pinpoint um, locations in order to continue to put perhaps remote uh, vehicles uh, closer to the seabed in order to get an idea of what's going on there. The U.S. Coast Guard, which is lead in all of this, has said that a Canadian ship, the John Cabot, uh, is now on. Will arrive on the scene later today with what they're calling side scanning sonar. What is that? It just means it's a more sophisticated device to actually look and hear for those noises again in the seabed. And by mapping exactly where those uh, sounds are coming from, they're able to see. If a submergible is there, having said that, as you can imagine, Rahel, there are even more resources rushing to the scene. As we've indicated before, we have about a day left of oxygen. And even if they do manage with all this sophisticated equipment and expertise to locate that submergible, it will be very difficult to continue to try and bring it to the surface before the oxygen runs out. But I mean, look, this is hopeful, Rahel, but also a bit chilling to think that they, those five passengers may have been on that Titan submergible and banging as loud as they can at specific intervals, knowing that that's what the experts would be lo- looking for, because they would know that that was not natural to what was going on in the ocean. Well.
1: So difficult to think about what they're going through. Paula Newton, thank you. Live force there in Ottawa. And turning now to Ukraine. Ukraine says that its top priority is to exhaust Russian forces before the main strike of the counteroffensive, which is said to still be ahead. They're doing that by targeting Russian artillery and armed systems. Officials in Kyiv say that Moscow is hemorrhaging military resources on the front lines, but Russia claims that they will stop Ukraine's advances. Now, as Ukraine prepares for even tougher battles ahead, its allies are already looking toward reconstruction. And the Ukraine Recovery Conference is underway in London as we speak. And that's where we find CNN's Nick Robertson. Nick, you know, Zelensky not exactly known to be shy about asking for what they need, which include more aid. Uh, I do believe he spoke virtually. What are some of the big takeaways so far on day one?
5: You know, I think the big takeaways are that there's a focus on making sure that if businesses invest in Ukraine, that they know that their money is going to be safe. And that means uh, reforms in Ukraine's government institutions um, to get uh, get away from corruption. There was praise for President Zelensky and some of the reforms that have happened. And President Zelensky himself spoke about the reasons to invest. He spoke about Ukraine. Uh, being responsible for uh, agricultural project, products reaching more than 600 million people around the world, that Ukraine had a future as a green energy provider, not just for itself, but for other countries uh, in Europe as well. So he painted a picture of, uh, of a Ukraine that was worth investing in, but one that, they would be, that private investors would be able to invest in because it's one that's getting rid of corruption. And he talked about how that's being done uh, with with new digital tools for customs controls. And that was something echoed by Secretary of State, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who said the U.S. is providing $100 million, some of which, uh, that particular pot of funding would go specifically into that digitization of the customs process to avoid corruption. Um, I think perhaps the other big takeaways were the number of businessmen that, that showed up and the support we heard from uh, Richard Branson, the Virgin boss spoke to the spoke to the combined uh, uh, people attending the conference more than 400 different businessmen according to the british government have pledged to support this rebuilding ukraine effort um uh, and perhaps the key to achieving that was outlined by but not the details of it was outlined by the british prime minister rishi sunak who said uh, there will be a war insurance framework uh, an insurance framework that will give businesses uh, perhaps better, you know, a better sense that their money, if invested in Ukraine while the war's still going on, that money all won't be lost. Of course, that's the sort of thing that business looks at. They want certainty. They don't want an ongoing war. So perhaps these insurance uh, frameworks that the prime minister was talking about can help with that.
1: Right, exactly, Nick. The idea being to try to uh, instill some confidence in investors that if, in fact, they deploy their money, uh, it will be safe from certain risk. Uh, Nick Robertson live for us there in London. Thank you. And later in the show, we're actually going to hear from the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development on its strategy for rebuilding Ukraine. That's in about 10 minutes from now. Meantime, China responding to U.S. President Joe Biden's comments describing President Xi Jinping as a dictator one day after Secretary of State Antony Blinken's trip to Beijing to try to Repair relations with China. Well, Mr. Biden made the unscripted comment during a fundraiser Tuesday night, saying, The reason why Xi Jinping got very upset in terms of when I shot that balloon down with two boxcars full of spy equipment in it is he didn't know it was there. Now, I'm serious. That's what a great embarrassment for dictators when they didn't know what happened. Well, China fired back, calling the remarks absurd and irresponsible.
6: The remarks seriously
2: contradict basic facts, seriously violate diplomatic etiquette, and seriously infringe on China's political dignity, which is an open political provocation.
1: CNN's Arlette Signs joins me now. Arlette, if the White House is trying to improve relations with China, I'm not exactly sure how this helps. What more do we know about these comments?
3: Well, So far, the White House hasn't offered any further clarification or walk back or comment relating to what President Biden said last night regarding Chinese President Xi Jinping. But it does raise the question of whether this is going to impact or potentially upend those efforts to ease tensions between the two countries. Now, the president's comments were similar in some respects to something he had said just on Saturday when he said that the Chinese spy balloon incident was embarrassing for China's leadership. But he went one step further in those fundraisers as he specifically likened uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping to dictators. Now, the president often in these types of venues, these off-camera fundraisers, does tend to speak a bit more candidly and freely, including weighing in on foreign affairs. And that's something that we simply saw play out last night as he spoke at that California fundraiser. And as you mentioned, this has already prompted a fierce response from the Chinese who have accused the president. President of engaging in open uh, political provocation. Now, uh, this all follows a recent visit by Secretary of State Antony Blinken to China uh, to try to ease some of the rising tensions between the two countries following that Chinese spy balloon incident, following these close military calls that have been seen between the U.S. and China. Officials after that meeting uh, had noted that they were constructive. The discussions did lead to some progress in those diplomatic relations. The question now is how this might impact that relationship going forward. The president himself had predicted that there would be a thaw very soon between the U.S. and China regarding uh, their relations. But this simply throws another wrinkle, another wrench into an already tense relationship.
1: Hmm. And Arlette, switching gears a bit, we know that President Biden also due to meet with the Indian Prime Minister Modi soon on uh, the visit, including a, a coveted state dinner. What else is on the agenda?
3: Yeah, President Biden will actually welcome Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi here to the White House tonight for a private dinner before those state visit festivities kick off tomorrow. Now, a part of the reason that the president has been trying to bolster this relationship with India is to serve as a counter to China as they have this growing influence in the region. We're told to expect deliverables when it comes to the defense cooperation as well as technology space. But this visit is also playing out as there are very serious human rights concerns about Modi's uh, time in office in India. Uh, The White House has faced some criticism from human rights groups uh, for the decision to host him with a state visit with a lavish uh, state dinner. Uh, But simply put, the White House has called this one of the defining relationships uh, of the 21st century. And they are hoping that with this visit, they will further deepen their cooperation with, with India, even as there are concerns about human rights and democracy in that country.
1: Arlette sign's very uh, well laid out there. Thank you. Andrew Tate will be back in court on Friday. The self-proclaimed misogynist and online influencer and his brother Tristan appeared in a Romanian courtroom earlier Wednesday morning. The pair, along with two Romanian women, have been charged with human trafficking, rape, and setting up a criminal gang. Here's what Andrew Tate said to reporters on his way into
3: court. Would you like to say something? I believe
7: in God, and I believe in
1: the justice system, and we're going to be Salma Abdelaziz joins me live from London. Salma, Tate has significant reach online, especially with young people. What more do we know about these allegations here?
6: So yesterday, uh, Romanian prosecutors announced that he, Andrew Tate, and his brother Tristan Tate were indicted on charges of human trafficking, charges of rape, and charges of forming a criminal organization. Extremely serious allegations. But I want to play you that video just one more time of them strolling, strutting into the courthouse today. His brother smoking a cigarette. I mean, you think they were walking into a club, not a courthouse And that's exactly the point. They've carefully curated this image of bravado and it continues to attract attention online. He thanked his followers after stepping out of the courthouse. Take a listen.
5: I would like to say a massive thank you to all the supporters
4: we have around the world, regardless of what the mainstream media keeps saying and the lies they try and purport. We get tens of thousands of messages from people every single day supporting us and they understand that we're not the first affluent wealthy men who have been unfairly attacked
6: now, the indictment against him is about charges that date back to 2021, events rather that take place in 2021. He is accused of exploiting women, of manipulating women, seven victims in total. Andrew Tate also specifically accused of raping one of those victims. There are other cases down the pipeline, one here in the UK, a civil case as well. More is being investigated as well in Romania. But despite the seriousness, again, of these Allegations. It seems his social media account is flourishing. It was reinstated. His Twitter account, rather, was reinstated last year and has since garnered more followers. I took a look at it this morning. He had tweeted dozens of times since the prosecutors in Romania announced this indictment. One of his videos had taken four million views. And that's the fear here. That's the concern here for parents, for critics, for those worried about the influence of Andrew Tate is even as he faces this legal. Uh, legal firestorm he continues to push and push his controversy push his views online
1: well there is the court of public opinion and social media and then there will be a legal court proceeding which we will see what happens there salma abdulaziz live in london for us thank you salma well straight ahead double the height of the grand canyon imagine that double the height of the grand canyon that is how deep underwater the missing submersible may be We will hear from the very first British diver to see the wreck of the Titanic coming up. Plus, the massive logistical challenge of rebuilding Ukraine, the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, tells us how that might be achieved when we come back.
0: This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like.
8: Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern.
9: That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned.
8: Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back to First Move. Jerome Powell making his first move to Capitol Hill this week. You see what we did there? The U.S. Federal Reserve Chair beginning two days of testimony before Congress in the next hour. Powell saying in his prepared statement that the U.S. Central Bank will not waver in its inflation fight. CNN's chief business correspondent Christine Romans joining us now. Christine, of course, as you know, the Fed paused at this last meeting, but also yeah. hinted that more rate hikes could be coming. How much scrutiny do you think that receives over the next two days from lawmakers?
7: You know, I think that the Q&A, the question and answer session of this testimony is going to be critical here because um, if the Fed is saying that, you know, inflation is still too high and there's still more work to be done and uh, rates will need to keep rising, then why did they pause last week? And the Fed chief is going to say, we've seen his testimony, he's going to say, frankly, that they wanted to pause to assess the lag times. Remember, it can take a year, but it's uncertain exactly how long the lag will be for some of this hiking to get into the economy. And also, they want to look at the headwinds from the credit tightening. That would be the banking sector, right? So he's saying the banking sector is still resilient um, and strong, but that they took the appropriate actions uh, to prop it up last uh, in March, actually, when um, when those three banks failed. So a lot here to go through. But I think there are two quotes that I think that are really important here. First, nearly all FOMC participants expect that it will be appropriate to raise interest rates somewhat further by the end of the year. So more rate hikes are coming. And the reason, the number one reason, inflation pressures continue to run high, he says, he will tell Congress, and the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go. So that's, uh, I think, the inner hawk of, of Jerome Powell shining through in this in this testimony here. You know, Democrats are going to probably be concerned And raise concerns about going overdoing it here and hurting the job market um, and hurting, you know, specifically hurting the job market. And and I think you'll probably hear from Republicans about the banking sector. So there there's a lot to parse and to to question the Fed chief about uh, when he begins his testimony in in just uh, just over half an hour.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. Also, you know, threading the needle because Christine, as you know, one of the big concerns, of course, is that all of these rate hikes, five percent in total, would cause a recession, kick people out of work. But broadly speaking, yeah. that hasn't happened, right? I mean, the last jobs report we added three hundred and thirty-nine thousand jobs. Consumer spending has picked back up. We've even seen a pick back up in housing. I mean, this is good news for Main Street, but maybe not so much for the Fed. So when Powell was talking to lawmakers, help me understand that the needle that he really has to thread here.
7: Yeah, especially because Democrats will criticize him and the Fed for trying to engineer weakness in the labor market to, to, you know, to achieve those inflation goals. And that's something that Democrats have really been uh, have been strong on here. You know, he goes at length here about the labor market remaining very tight. And he says that, um, you know, job gains this year have averaged three hundred and fourteen thousand jobs per month. That's just remarkable. In normal times, that would be gangbuster uh, job growth. And he says labor demand still far uh, outpaces uh, labor supply. But he is pointing out that some of those wage pressures are starting to come off um, and the job market may be slowly cooling a little bit here. But I think the job part of the picture is very, very interesting and politically could see some some questions from Democrats who are going to ask him, you know, why do you want it? Why do you want to soften uh, the labor market to achieve your inflation goals? It, it can be very
1: counterintuitive. Christine Romans, great to have your insight. Thank you. Nice to see you. Likewise. Right, coming up for us, returning to Ukraine, and even as the war with Russia is being fought, of course, there is much discussion about rebuilding the country post-conflict. The World Bank estimates that reconstruction over 10 years could cost $411 billion. European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, or EBRD, as it's known, is Ukraine's largest institutional investor, and it's looking to use its funding in the following areas. Trade, in terms of imports of fuel and exports of food energy and food security, infrastructure, and also bolstering the private sector. Remember, we talked about this a bit earlier with Nick Robertson. Right now, EBRD chiefs are joining world leaders and diplomats in London to talk reconstruction. We're seeing here U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who addressed the conference earlier. Take a listen.
4: As Russia continues to destroy, we are here to help Ukraine rebuild, rebuild lives, rebuild its country, rebuild its future.
1: Matteo Petrone is the EBRD's Managing Director for Eastern Europe and the Caucasus. Uh, Matteo, welcome to the program. Great to have you. So in terms of reconstruction after the war, what's the biggest challenge to that goal?
9: I think, first of all, reconstruction starts now, doesn't start after the war. There are a number of companies in the private sector, a number of companies in the public sector that need to establish their presence in the market and their facilities, their production facilities. The economy of Ukraine has not stopped because of the war. There's been a contraction of GDP, including because of occupied territories, but companies continue working and therefore they continue to have the facilities to do that. And and if I look at the experience of the BRD over 2022 and 2023, we see a shift from provision of liquidity for working capital and operational expenditures to a provision of finance for investments, emergency repairs in the areas of energy, for instance. We have been working with Ukraine ergo since the end of the year, last year, in order to reestablish the transmission system operations in, in, in the power, uh, but also, indeed, in the private sector. And the challenges are, of course, the, the war that is, is is still ongoing, but also... Uh, the the need to continuous improvement of the business environment in the country and the Mm -hmm. authorities are very much aware of that and working towards that goal
1: and to that end we talked with our reporter a bit earlier in the program about rishi sunak's announcement about the risk insurance framework essentially how important are measures and policies like that in terms of incentivizing private investment
9: I think they are important in terms of facilitating private investments in the country and private trade, by the way, in the country as well. We are working on a pilot program on in, in kick, kick starting again the insurance market for transport of goods in the country. But they are not, I think, the 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 what is needed or they are not the sufficient uh uh conditions to attract investors in the country. For that you need a business environment that is apt is, uh, is and fit for purpose. And again, as I said, I think we are all working in that direction. Uh, the Ukrainian authorities, the international partners, and indeed also the civil society in the country. Uh,
1: turning back to last year's conference, the seven principles that were established, can you tell us one, maybe outline some of those principles, but where we've already started to see some progress in Ukraine and what areas remain the biggest challenges?
9: I think there are areas where we certainly have seen progress. Uh, One of them is, for instance, corporate governance, in particular in the public sector. The public sector is is permeating the economy of Ukraine. And if you think about uh, the fact that more than 50% of the banking assets are in the hands of state-owned banks, you realize how important is the public sector. And we have seen some significant improvement in terms of uh, of corporate governance in in, in that area, uh, new supervisory boards have been elected in in, uh, in state-owned banks. Uh, a new supervisory board has been um, um, instated in uh, in Naftogaz, the gas company, and uh, and the Ukrainian authorities are working on a draft law for imp- further improvement of the corporate governance uh, setup
1: in terms of financing these efforts as we said the World Bank putting a price tag of about 400 billion dollars over a decade and that is likely to increase the longer you know this this unfortunate war drags on I mean uh, walk me through how, how best to finance all of these efforts
9: I think it's going to be a mix of official sector and private sector and uh, and this is is the reason why actually the the, the entire agenda of the conference here in London is about uh, facilitating and incentivizing private sector investment in the country mm-hmm. and uh, my 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 estimate is that uh, the official sector will still be uh, uh, absolutely essential in the next three four years but gradually I think the private sector at some point uh, will uh, will take over the leadership of uh, of uh, the investment flow in the country
1: and then, Matteo, we don't have much time left, but lastly, day one of your two-day conference, what are some of the main takeaways you think coming out of this uh, conference?
9: I think the, the main takeaway is, is really a, a cohesive approach by the international partners of Ukraine in supporting the economy here and now and prepare it for the reconstruction phase.
1: Matteo Petrone, thanks for being on the program today.
9: Thank you for having me.
1: Coming up on First Move, a possible sign of life. The latest on the search for the missing submersible right after this break.
6: The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting
0: down graduation events.
1: Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks up and running this Wednesday, the first trading day of summer. The bulls hoping for a bit of sunshine as the summer solstice rolls on. But for now, red arrow so far ahead of Fed Chair Powell's testimony before Congress next hour. Powell saying in his prepared statement that the fight against inflation, quote, has a long way to go. He says virtually all Fed policymakers see more rate hikes ahead. And from the Fed to FedEx. Take a look. Shares are off about 1.5 percent. The package delivery giant lower in early trading. It's reporting weaker than expected revenues. It's also out with disappointing forward guidance. Back to our top story this morning. An intense search continues in the Atlantic for that missing Titanic tour submersible. This new video shows another rescue vessel heading out to join the search operation earlier today. Banging sounds were detected by sonar devices during the search on Tuesday, according to a U.S. government memo. And a Canadian military plane also picked up underwater noises in the area. CNN's Miguel Marquez joins us now from St. John's, Canada. Miguel, this is a multinational search where every hour matters. What's the latest on the scene there?
4: Yeah, you can really feel the sense of just the urgency of the situation at this point. Uh, a, a Canadian Coast Guard ship left here a short time ago. There was a very big private ship, the, uh, the Horizon Arctic, that left overnight. It takes about 12 hours or so to get out to the location where uh, this uh, uh, search is happening. There were three U.S. military planes, C-17s, that landed here in St. John's. A lot of that gear went on to the Horizon Arctic. All of this quickening, the pace quickening because of those sounds picked up. There was a a Poseidon aircraft that picked up sounds initially. Every half hour they heard what sounded like banging. They put more sonar beacons with another aircraft in. Some hours later they heard more sound. Eventually, they stopped hearing banging, but they heard something. They, put, uh, they, they moved surface ships, they put uh, remote uh, vehicles, operated vehicles into the water to see if they could locate the source of that sound, uh, and they came up with nothing so far. So now they have three Coast Guard ships, Canadian Coast Guard ships, that are trying to basically map the bottom of the ocean and try to figure out if they can see uh, that submersible down there so that they can hopefully uh, find anybody that is still alive. But the you know, talking to people here uh, in St. John's, just the, the thought of what they, they may be going through if they are alive. The darkness, the cold, and the fear of running out of oxygen. Just a, a horrific, horrific feeling uh, everywhere and everyone hoping for the best. Rahel?
1: Absolutely. Miguel, is it clear if those sounds have been able to help rescuers triangulate where uh, these people may be? Has the search area narrowed at all?
4: This is what they're trying to do. Uh, they they moved surface via, uh, surface ships to try to get a better sense of of or closer to where those sounds were emanating. They've sent those sonar signals as well to Navy experts to try to figure out if they can decipher anything from them. It is still not clear that those sounds were coming from the submersible, but they are trying everything they can. They have a ton of gear out there. Everything for from, from deep water submersibles to mobile decompression chambers in case uh, uh, victims may need that if, they, if they, they rise up from the bottom too quickly. Uh, everything that they can think of, they are putting in position in the hopes that they can find the vehicle and then extract those individuals that are in
1: it. Rahel? Miguel Marquez live for us there. Thank you, Miguel. And for more on this now, Dick Barton joins me now. He is a former director of operations at RMS Titanic and the first British diver to see the Titanic wreckage. Uh, Dick, welcome to the program. Let me ask you, when you hear our reporter and our correspondent say that they heard banging at 30 minute intervals, then they heard some sound and then nothing. What does that mean to you?
8: Yeah, hi, Rahel. It's it's obviously encouraging. We have to be optimistic. We have to be upbeat. And... uh, Everything else must really just uh, be focused on the on the actual rescue event. Um, banging, of course, is a submariner's way of communicating emergency. It was done by the USS Arizona in uh, Pearl Harbor and the, the Russian submariners in, on the Kursk. So noise travels well through through water. I think the only word of caution, really, apart from the fact that it's stopped, is that the oceans a busy place. There's a lot of activity down there. Apart from mammal and marine life, there's also... Sort of uh, cable laying and vessel activity. So uh, we need to be quite cautious on what, what we're interpreting here.
1: And from your point of view, I mean, of course, you have much more experience than most. I mean, how dire, how critical is the search now at this point, days after they went down there?
8: Well, you've got two aspects, haven't you? You've got power and you've got life support systems or air. And unfortunately, both will be running down uh, even with contingency planning and also with some control to, to reduce your activity and be as calm as possible. Um, the cold is, will be absolutely critical uh, and the condensation, which is accumulating by, by breathing in that contained uh, titanium vessel.
1: Dick, it's been said that the, the mission is, is quite dangerous, even when all things go according to plan. You have made the trip, as I understand it, 22 times. Uh, what are conditions like down there?
8: Yeah, it's a it's a dangerous place to go. It's you know two and a half miles, three thousand eight hundred and forty meters direct down. Um, you lose light at a thousand meters, and the bottom pressure is six and a half thousand pounds a square inch at the uh, site of the Titanic. And that's the equivalent of two adult elephants balancing on your thumbnail, uh, to put it into context. Um, risk is high. Uh, you have to have an appetite for risk. And to be frank, once that uh, cupola, that uh, that top hatch is closed then uh, you're down to your own wits, expertise, competence, and the integrity of the vessel.
1: You have a personal connection to the five on board. As I understand it, you know, uh, personally, P.H. Narjolet, who is said to be on board. What can you tell us about him?
8: P.H. is a a died in the war, extraordinarily experienced uh, submariner, oceanographer and researcher, pilot, been to the, the rec site 37 times. He's worked with Ocean Gate extensively. He's he's extremely competent. And um, I think really, if, if God forbid, we we're ever in a position like this again, then my PH would be the man I'd have by my side for sure. He's been a tremendous influence and, and uh, a great friend and and mentor to me over time.
1: Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. And so uh, how would you how would you categorize how hopeful you are right now that PH and the others on board uh, will ultimately be brought back safely?
8: Yeah, well, as your correspondent from St. John's said, and we know the we know the area, we know St. John's very well. We launched them there many times. Um, every effort, every stop is being pulled out. The most professionals, the Navy, the Coast Guard system, and, and other support agencies. So we have to keep the, keep the uh, hope up. Um, you know, we rescued or they rescued—the uh, young Thai boys from the from the underground uh, connection system they had then. And life was 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 expected, and, and we can only hope that's going to be the outcome here. Mm.
1: And then finally, Dick, because you are one of the few who have actually made this trek, uh, as you pointed out, it's dangerous. But what what is the attraction? What's the allure? Uh, what what brought you back so many times?
8: You know, Titanic's a myth, isn't it? It's it's uh, it's a part of our lifestyle. It's been it's been made romantic, it's been glorified, it's documented through movies and, and, and just general exposure. I think it's just uh, becomes a, a total obsession if you if you're fascinated by these things. If you have the wherewithal to dive and, and the facilities made available, you will do so. I mean at the end of the day, if they if they put a travel to the top of Everest, there'll be people would people do that as well, wouldn't they?
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dick Barton, wonderful to have your insight today. We're certainly thinking about PH, Nargile, and all of those uh, on board as this search now continues. Thank you for the time. He is the former director of operations at RMS Titanic. Thank you. And that is it for the show. I'm Rahel Solomon. Pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for watching. Marketplace Europe is coming up next.